0: And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Story time.
1: I had always been fascinated by the unknown. The woods, the creatures that might lurk within them and the mid- Trees of the supernatural had always captured my imagination. As a child, I spent countless hours exploring the forest, boating on the lake, and camping with my friends. Despite all the time I spent in the woods, I had never really experienced anything out of the ordinary. That is, until the day I met police officer Doyle. It was a beautiful summer afternoon, and I decided to take a hike in the woods behind my house. I had been walking for a couple of hours when suddenly, the atmosphere changed. The woods went eerily quiet, and I felt an overwhelming sense of dread wash over me. My gut instincts were telling me to leave, so I turned around and hurried back the way I came. As I made my way out of the woods, I stumbled upon Officer Doyle. He was standing at the edge of the forest, a look of concern etched across his face. He asked me if I was alright and if I had seen or heard anything unusual. I hesitated, not sure if I should share my experience with him. But something about his kind eyes and genuine concern made me trust him, so I opened up about the unnerving silence and the fear I felt. Officer Doyle nodded, as if he had heard similar stories before. He told me that he had been investigating strange occurrences in these woods for years. Sightings of creatures. Strange lights and unexplained phenomena were not uncommon, but the townsfolk were often too scared or skeptical to talk about them. Officer Doyle, however, believed that there was more to these stories than mere superstition. I listened intently as he shared his own experiences with the unexplained, including a close encounter with what he believed to be Bigfoot. He explained that he had once been a skeptic himself, but after witnessing the impossible, He became a staunch advocate for the existence of the supernatural. Officer Doyle's stories and his passion for seeking the truth inspired me to rethink my own beliefs. I realized that I had no right to dismiss the experiences of others, especially when I had felt that inexplicable fear myself. Our conversation that day sparked a friendship that would last for years, as we continued to explore the unknown together. As I look back on my experiences and the people I've met, I'm grateful for Officer Doyle and the day I listened to my gut instincts. It opened up a whole new world of possibilities and made me question everything I thought I knew. And by sharing our stories, we not only gave credibility to the subject but also found solace in knowing that we were not alone in our experiences. One of my favorite things about living in Washington is the eeriness of its forests. I, 28 female, have had a few weird experiences here but one of the creepiest happened like an hour away from Offutt Lake in Covington. You got me with the Weyerhäuser because I would always pass Weyerhäuser Avenue on the way to the home of a guy, 30 male, I was seeing. It was 3 am. And we were outside with the dog letting her conduct a business transaction and smoking a cigarette. I had started this routine because I would have a hard time sleeping at his house. He would come outside with me most of the time but if he didn't, I would be okay alone on the front porch with the pooch. My ex-boyfriend walks over to the other side of the driveway towards the trash cans and I'm trying to get the dog to the grass. She will not move a muscle and is shaking a little looking straight ahead. I stop and look in the same direction, at the same time we hear a loud laugh unlike any I have heard before. The best way I could describe it is if you imagine this laugh was the source of all evil like it's mocking you, but it's more disturbing than that even because it sounds inhuman, and it was deep. The length of the laugh was like ha ha and abruptly stopped. We freeze and look at each other trying to comprehend what we just heard, it echoed as if the sky was the source of this horrible sound. We never heard anything like that again but I feel once was too much. We were sober and aware at times. If I was alone it would be easier to brush off as my imagination. The fact that the dog reacted a second before it happened and knew the direction and my ex-boyfriend had a similar reaction as me to the sound reinforces the reality the disturbing laugh did occur. Washington can get weird. The sun was shining brightly as I headed to the outskirts of town to pick some blueberries. I had always loved spending time outdoors, and the thought of enjoying a day in nature while collecting delicious berries was irresistible. Little did I know that my peaceful outing would soon turn into a spine-chilling encounter with the unknown. As I walked through the fields, I met two women and three boys, who were also there to pick blueberries. We exchanged pleasantries and continued picking berries together, talking and laughing as we worked. Suddenly, Our cheerful conversation was interrupted by an unearthly shriek that made us all freeze in our tracks. The horrifying sound seemed to come from the edge of the woods, not too far from where we stood. Fearfully, we crept closer to the source of the noise, curiosity getting the better of us. As we reached the tree line, we caught sight of a creature that defied explanation. It was a massive, hairy beast that walked upright on its hind legs like a man. It looked like an immense African monkey, but unlike anything we had ever seen before. Panic set in, and we all fled back towards the town, our minds racing with terror. When we reached the park ranger station, we frantically recounted our experience to park ranger Sam. He was a calm and collected man, with a kind face that belied his years of experience dealing with the unknown. He listened intently to our story, Never interrupting or dismissing our claims. Ranger Sam informed us that there had been other reports of strange creatures in the area recently, but none quite like the one we had described. He decided to accompany us back to the edge of the woods, armed with his trusty camera and a tranquilizer gun, just in case. As we cautiously approached the spot where we had seen the creature, we could still feel the lingering sense of dread that had gripped us earlier. Ranger Sam, however, remained calm and focused. He scanned the area for any signs of the beast, but it seemed to have disappeared without a trace. Disappointed but relieved, we thanked Ranger Sam for his help and headed back to town. The encounter with the mysterious creature left a lasting impact on all of us. We couldn't help but wonder what other mysteries might be lurking in the shadows, waiting to be discovered. The story of the immense African monkey became something of a local legend and many people ventured to the outskirts of town in hopes of catching a glimpse of the enigmatic beast. As for me, I continued to explore the world around me with a newfound sense of awe and curiosity, always remembering that day when the line between the known and the unknown was so dramatically blurred. So last year I went backpacking in the central Sierras with a friend. We were about to set up camp in a spot just a few feet off trail. I ventured further away from the trail on this rocky area to get a better view of the lake. If you looked close enough, there was a trail, not on any map, but a clear trail nonetheless that looked like it led to the base of a peak, which is known for climbing. I started following it and I came across the most peculiar camp setup. It wasn't like any backpacking setup I'd ever seen. There were a couple of backpacking tents, but there was also those white foldable tables, a canopy tent, and a grill. A full-on cabinet-style backyard grill. Clearly heavy equipment that requires at least two people to carry each item. The nearest road was six miles away and the only way up to that spot was foot or horse. How the hell did they manage to haul that all that stuff up there? I didn't see anyone. I saw all that stuff, turned around, and let my friend know. She went up to check it out, but she didn't see anything. Either she didn't walk down the trail far enough or my mind completely made that up. Maybe the altitude and sun exposure got to me. LOL either way, I didn't feel safe staying there so we camped somewhere else. Anyone know how that stuff could've gotten up there? Growing up in a small town 45 minutes outside Tulsa, life was quiet and simple. There were only two stores and no stoplights in the entire town. Being part of the 8th grade football team was one of the few things that brought excitement to my life. One Friday night, after an away football game, we were on our way back home. It was around midnight, and the bus had just reached the stretch of roads surrounded by sod farms as far as the eye could see. There were no trees or buildings, just flat, grassy fields that seemed to go on forever. Most of my teammates had already drifted off to sleep, exhausted from the game. As I stared out of the window into the darkness, something strange happened. A light suddenly came on above us, casting a brilliant glow over the entire landscape. It was a clean, white light, similar to an LED, even though this was the mid-90s. It was so bright that it made everything outside look like daytime. The light went on and off in a pattern, illuminating everything around us for one second and then disappearing for two seconds. This sequence repeated itself three times. I was amazed by the sight, as it allowed me to see in every direction as if it were the middle of the day. I glanced around the bus, trying to gauge if any of my teammates had witnessed the same phenomenon. A few of them had stirred from their sleep rubbing their eyes in disbelief. We exchanged looks of astonishment, wondering what could have caused such a bizarre occurrence. When the bus finally pulled into the school parking lot, my teammates and I couldn't stop talking about the mysterious light. We debated whether it could have been some kind of experimental aircraft or perhaps even a UFO. The experience sparked a curiosity within us that lasted for years. As time went on, we all went our separate ways, but the memory of that night never faded. Whenever I returned to my hometown and passed by those sod farms, I couldn't help but look up at the sky and think about that incredible light that turned night into day. There's one spot in Tucker, Georgia that never fails to give me chills, John's homestead. This old, vacant farmhouse sits in disarray alongside a busy highway, Surrounded by a few acres of woods, two-century-old churches, and old cemeteries. It's a strange patch of land that feels disconnected from the bustling urban communities around it. The history of the place is vague. All I know is that the landowner's name was John Johns, and an old photo of him shows a stern, unhappy man. The property has always creeped me out, but curiosity kept pulling me back. I visited the homestead a few times and each time I felt as if I was being watched. The atmosphere was heavy and unsettling, but I couldn't help wanting to explore the old house and its surroundings. On my last visit, I arrived just before dark. The walk to the house was uneventful, and I found myself at the chain-link fence that surrounded the crumbling structure, which had been deemed structurally unsafe. The inside of the house appeared pitch black, even though the doors and windows didn't seem to be completely boarded up. Suddenly, I realized that darkness was falling quickly, and the familiar feeling of unease began to wash over me. I decided to leave and started walking back towards the trail. Just as I re-entered the wooded area, I heard a loud thud. My first thought was that a tree limb had fallen, but the sound wasn't accompanied by any snaps or cracks. I hesitated for a moment before continuing towards my car, the darkness now almost complete. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was off about this place. A few days later, I read in the news that human remains had been found just a few feet from where I had heard the noise. The county never released any details about the identity of the body or what had happened, even after a year had passed. So many questions remain unanswered. What's so special about this particular crumbling house? Why has this small stretch of woods remained undeveloped? What did I hear that night, and who was found dead? The mystery of John's homestead continues to haunt me, and I can't help but wonder if there's something more to this eerie patch of land than meets the eye. As the urban landscape continues to encroach on this small, seemingly forgotten corner of Tucker, the secrets hidden within its shadows may never be revealed. I came out the woods after dark from deer hunting several years ago and when I got to my Bronco the battery was dead and no way to jump start it plus I had driven through the backside of a 2 year old clear cut and was in the middle of nowhere. The woods were lit up with noise as I walk out the clear cut back to the old logging road I had drove on. When I hit the old logging road everything went silent. I had left my bow in my Bronco knowing I had a 8-mile walk back to the camp. I think that was the fastest I had ever walked in my life. The feeling of being watched and followed was something that still gives me the chills to this day. In 2006, my wife, son, and I decided to take a camping trip to Pinnacle Lake Trail in Washington. We were excited to spend some quality time together, enjoying the beauty of nature and exploring the rainforest. On a misty day with light rain, we set out for a hike. We hadn't gone far, probably less than a mile, when we came across a small trail that led to a boggy pond hidden within the lush forest. Tall trees draped with moss surrounded the dark water, creating an enchanting yet eerie atmosphere. Intrigued, we decided to venture further in. Navigating our way through the undergrowth, we carefully climbed over and ducked under fallen trees. The air felt heavy and oppressive, but we were captivated by the mysterious beauty of the place. Suddenly, my wife stopped in her tracks and said, we need to leave. Now, confused, I asked her what was wrong, but she couldn't explain it. She just felt an overwhelming sense of unease, as if something bad was lurking nearby. Trusting her instincts, which had served us well in the past, I agreed to leave without hesitation. We retraced our steps back to our campsite and spent a quiet evening together before packing up and heading home the following day. Upon arriving home, we were shocked to see a local news report about a double murder just two miles up the trail from where we had been hiking. Two women had been killed the day after we had been there. Chills ran down our spines as we contemplated the possibility that my wife's intuition might have saved us from a similar fate. Was there a connection between her sense of unease and the brutal crime that had taken place nearby? To this day, the case remains unsolved. We'll never know for certain if my wife's instinct sensed the presence of a killer or if it was just a coincidence. But one thing is clear, trusting her intuition that day may have saved our lives that experience has left an indelible mark on our family, serving as a reminder that sometimes, our gut feelings are worth listening to, no matter how inexplicable they may seem. I live in a big woods in Northwest Oregon and this happened this year at my house. We can generally hear the ocean, trees, sounds from the street, and loads of wildlife, frogs, birds, Insects, depending on season and we have a rowdy neighborhood and general living noises, but one night it just all stopped. There was no sound at all on an unusually clear night, it's cloudy a lot here in the Pacific Northwest. Well, I went outside. I wanted to see if I could find a UFO or something mysterious happening. I wanted to see if there were any sounds. Curious, but the rest of my family were like, get inside shut the window blinds, this is messed. I give my apple cores to a couple of deer who live in the woods, Sandy and Sarah, and one of them came up. She seemed scared and felt better standing right up beside me and the oddest thing, I could hear her breathing. It was dead quiet and there was this wash wash of breath in and out of this nervous deer. My family dragged me inside about then. I still feed the deer apple cores but I have never been able to hear one breathing again. I've never had an instance of complete silence either, it's always noisy. There is so much wildlife here and Coast Guard helicopters and the pickup trucks of loggers etc. I felt like there was something there, but I honestly couldn't see it, I did give it my best shot. The next few days there were unusual helicopters and a really unusual airplane. In 1994, I lived in a remote cabin nestled in the hills of Bella Vista, California, not far from Redding and Lake Shasta. The surrounding woods were home to countless mysteries, and strange occurrences were not uncommon. One evening, I had some guests staying at my cabin. My friend and his wife were outside enjoying the fresh air when they suddenly burst through the door, exclaiming, you have to come out and see this. I was used to odd things happening around my cabin so I reluctantly followed them outside, wondering what new oddity awaited me. We stepped off the deck and into the yard, and my friend pointed to the sky above the cabin roof. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Directly above us, there were baseball-sized flashes of blue electricity lighting up the sky. It looked as if more than 25 cameras were going off at once, creating a stunning yet eerie display. The flashes were completely silent, adding to the sense of otherworldliness. I tried to estimate how long the phenomenon had been going on, considering the time it took for my friend and his wife to notice the lights, come inside to get me, and for us to return outside. It must have been at least three minutes of continuous flashing. We stood there, mesmerized by the display, unsure of what was causing it or what it meant. As abruptly as the lights had started, they vanished, leaving us in darkness and silence once more. We spent the rest of the evening discussing possible explanations, ranging from natural phenomena to extraterrestrial encounters. I lived in that cabin for several more years, but I never experienced the mysterious flashes of blue electricity again. It became one of the many enigmas that made my time in the hills of Bella Vista both thrilling and unforgettable. Though I never discovered the cause of those strange lights, They served as a reminder that there is still so much in this world that we have yet to understand. While camping and hiking in the Idaho wilderness area in 1972, I luckily had a handgun and that may have been the only thing that saved me. Throughout the whole ordeal I had the uncanny sense that I was being watched and being followed always trust your inner voice I got a good look at him and he was nasty and very unkempt man just like deliverance and no it was not Bigfoot. if fired off a couple of shots just to let the creep know I was armed. The nonsense abruptly stopped. I later reported the incident to a forest ranger and he said that they had heard about this crazy guy stalking other hikers. My girlfriend at the time and I were camping on the beach near Camp Winnema. However, we were not in the camp and camped alone on the beach front. Near dusk we noticed what we thought was a person standing 60 yards down the beach looking at our direction. I thought it was strange that a person was walking down in that direction because the only way down to the beach was next to us. Next we thought maybe a person was looking for shells as we had earlier in the night. Then I thought maybe this person was up to no good and wanted to stalk us for some reason. My girlfriend and I were in law enforcement. She a deputy sheriff, and I, a US Forest Service law enforcement officer level 2. So we were alarmed a bit and generally suspicious in nature. We noticed the person was very large at that distance and turned and walked back south, out of sight. Five minutes later the person came back not stopping and kept walking toward our camp. The sun had set and the full moon was overhead. With the moon and the ocean it was almost like day twilight still. We could see very well. The person we thought walked within 50 to 70 feet in front of us passed us at a good clip going to the north. He never stopped to look and seemed to just ignore us as it was looking for something in the sand. It walked next to a natural tide pool on the beach and never crossed it to come up to us. At the end of the tide pool it stopped turned around and walked right back down the beach to the south again disappearing in the distance. I was alarmed because it did not seem natural the way it walked. It almost glided as it walked and seemed to be bent over as it did. We noticed it was huge too. It almost seemed to be at eye level to us and we were above it on a sand berm. Probably six feet above the level it was walking. Alice we noticed no color in its apparel Jet black. The distance it covered when it walked was almost as fast as if someone was jogging. We didn't notice any up or down bouncing just a fluid motion as it walked. I ran down with my mag light to the location it was walking and had my girlfriend tell me when to stop when I reached the area it walked. Before she yelled stop I tripped on one of the tracks. I couldn't believe how deep and large they were. When I stood next to the holes I barely pushed the sand down more than an inch. These holes I guessed were at least 10-12 inches deep. So deep the steepness of the imprint sort of caved inward making oval shapes like cones. My girlfriend came down as I yelled at her to take a look. She told me that she could clearly see my clothes from the camp and notice my outline of colors. Jacket blue slash red. I showed her the footprints and said it must be that Bigfoot people say is here. We were on vacation from Colorado. After a few minutes of looking at the tracks my damn maglite bulb went out. We kind of laughed nervously. I told her not to worry and had a spare in the back of the flashlight. As I was doing the micro task of changing out the bulb, she telled out, here it comes. I rushed to change it out and dropped the damn bulb of all things. So here we are two adult people getting a bit freaked out. I noticed it was directly walking toward us from a distance of around 100 yards. I frantically looked for the bulb and each time I looked up at Cove Disdain at a rate of almost a jogger. I am guessing now somewhere around 6-8 miles per hour. She freaked out and pulled my arm begging me to run to the camp above the berm. I couldn't move. I told here I was going to stay put to find out who the hell this was. She ran screaming run to the camp. I stood my ground and stood there like some kind of gunfight, idiot, I guess. Now I clearly noticed hair all black and a huge figure. The shoulders struck me the most. I couldn't believe how wide it was and taller than me at a distance of over I am guessing 60 yards. It kept walking without slowing down toward me. Kid of like it didn't even see me? It wasn't slowing down and I guess within 10-20 yards now. I could see a face to the figure and realize this was not natural. Not a person. I was so scared I couldn't even move for a moment which really bothered me. I then gained some composure and ran like hell to the camp. All the time she was yelling run. All I could think was I was a goner if it wanted to catch me. I ran so fast never like that before to her location. I turned around and was happy to see it was still walking right over where I must have been standing and passed to the north. It stopped turned around again like it was still looking for something. Walked without looking in our direction and walked to the south out of sight. Almost ignored us I would say. We were in shock. We decided to leave everything on the beach. Our tent, clothes, everything. We ran to the car and I asked her for the keys. She said. I don't have them you do. I couldn't believe it they were in the tent in my suitcase pocket. After much deliberation. Half hour. We sneaked back to the site and I grabbed the keys. We ran back to the car and got in. She told me my ticket was in my suitcase. By then I decided to regain compose and waited out with my video camera which was in the car the whole time of course. She suggested we just wait till morning and we must have seen a person. Right. She went to sleep in the car and I waited up all night wth a huge fire waiting for it to come back. Morning came, I stayed up all night. I took my picture camera 35mm and took pictures of the tracks still clearly visible on the beach. I was shocked to see how many tracks I saw and even larger than the ones I looked at the night before. I took the whole roll and followed them down the beach for over a mile I am sure. I took pics with items next to them to show depth, distance and length. I noticed the tracks all WNT to a spot to the east up the berm to a thick forest. I stepped about a foot in and realized how stupid this was and left back to camp. We left and almost never talked about it and tried to gain reality back. After I returned back I got the pics developed and saw in disbelief how incredible they seemed. I decided to try to contact someone who researches this and found an address on the back of a book authored by Richard Greenwell from the library. He was with the International Society of Cryptozoology. I mailed a letter some pics to Arizona asked for some answers. He contacted me after getting my letter and interviewed me. He had me then send the rest of the pics and contact another. Peter Byrne in Portland. I left a message. He got a hold of me at work and asked for my immediate departure back. I of course was unable due to vac time. I sure wasn't going to ask for special leave due to the circumstances and kept it quiet. He got the Jural location and researched the sighting. Later on he found nothing, not even a trail up the forest. He noticed really nothing, hair, tracks. Two weeks after sighting. After a request by Peter I came out the next year in June. We walked over the spot. He took pictures and I showed him the location it went into the woods. He said he was off where I told him to go, and had not yet looked there. We pushed back the foliage and saw to my amazement a honed out trail with vegetation and clearly a dirt animal path. We followed the path up the hillside to the highway and over to the wilderness area. I led him with the new and went back to Colorado. We noticed earth movers had begun to develop the land where the trail was. This had begun I am guessing within a week before my return. I have several pics but sent something for you to look at. Some have its footprints with mine next to it for comparison. It was during the summer of my late twenties when I decided to take a solo trip to the Uinta mountain range. I had a few days off work and yearned for the serenity of the mountains, eager to camp and fly fish. My friends were all occupied, so I ventured out alone, excited to explore this new part of the wilderness. The first day went by smoothly. I caught some impressive fish and, admittedly, indulged in a bit too much alcohol. The sun dipped below the horizon, and I prepared my campsite for the night. It was a peaceful, clear evening with stars twinkling overhead. I gazed up at the sky, lost in my thoughts when I noticed a flashlight in the distance. It seemed to be approaching my campsite, but I brushed it off as another backpacker seeking a spot for the night. A few moments later, I noticed another light coming from the opposite direction. With a shrug. I assumed it was a late-night hiker and turned in for the night. I had barely settled in my tent when I heard whispered voices nearby. They sounded devious, as if plotting something sinister. My heart raced as I tried to convince myself I was overreacting. The sound of multiple footsteps circling my campsite and unnaturally heavy breathing filled the air. Clutching the 9-inch buck knife I kept next to me, I steeled myself for whatever was coming and then the laughter started. It was a sound so chilling and eerie, it made my blood run cold. The laughter echoed all around me, as if it were amplified by some unseen force. I felt a growing sense of dread, and in the moonlight, I spotted a shadow of a face just inches away from my tent. The face was elongated and distorted, barely resembling anything human. As quickly as it appeared, it retreated into the darkness, followed by the sound of running footsteps. My heart pounded in my chest, and I was amazed I hadn't lost control of my bowels. I lay there, frozen, trying to decide my next move. After an hour of agonizing silence, I mustered the courage to take action. Swiftly, I dismantled my tent, leaving stakes and poles behind, stuffed it into my bag, and grabbed my belongings. I made my escape.
2: luxury quality within reach go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order quince.com slash style
1: trying to be as quiet as possible hoping not to alert whatever had terrorized me i hiked for what felt like an eternity covering nearly 15 miles well into the next day and evening my legs ached and my fear hadn't completely subsided, but I was determined to put as much distance between myself and that harrowing experience as possible. Finally, I arrived at a small town, my ordeal in the wilderness at an end. The memory of that night has haunted me ever since. I've only shared the story with a select few, as the fear it instills in me is still very real. As for the Uinta mountain range, I've never returned, nor do I have any intention to. The unknown predator that stalked me that night remains a mystery, a chilling reminder of the secrets the wilderness can hold. My husband and I had a really frightening experience hiking in our local mountains in the 80s. Both of us were looking forward to hiking our favorite trail with towering pine trees and small meadows filled with wildflowers. My husband was wearing a backpack filled with our sandwiches, apples, snacks, a first-aid kit, a whistle, a compass, and bottles of water. We planned on eating our lunch atop a large outcropping of rocks at a place we named Lookout Point, where you could see for miles down to the valley and cities below. From atop this lofty perch, the view below resembled a patch quilt of green valleys, orchards and cities with their buildings and spalling freeways. With the wind whispering between the pine trees, and the quiet stillness of the forest, other than the calling of the Blue Jays to one another, it gave one a sense of being far removed from noise of the city and the stresses of everyday life. It was early morning when we eagerly set off on the trail. We had only traversed about two miles of the eight-mile hike when I began to feel uneasy. Our hike started off with blue skies. But clouds had moved in and stole the sunlight. The clouds seemed to foreshadow the danger that was ahead. An overwhelming sense of dread and danger began to overtake me. The small hairs on the back of my neck and arms stood up, which wasn't due to the cloudy skies and drop in temperature. I felt an animal awareness kick in. My pupils dilated. I quickly began to scan the trees and bushes on both sides of the trail. Like a dog, I lifted my nose to breathe in the air. No longer could I smell the crisp, clean scent of pine, but something else. There was a faint smell of something unclean, putrid, really. The Blue Jays became quiet. I felt we were being watched and stalked. I told my husband we have to turn around and run back to our car. He could see the absolute panic and terror in my eyes. The words barely escaped my mouth when we heard the rustling of bushes and snapping of twigs about 30 yards ahead. And that's when we saw him. He stepped out of the shadows of thick trees and bushes and stood ahead of us on the trail. He was massive. He looked like a character in the movie Deliverance. He was about 6 feet 5 inches. He had dirty brown, wild, long hair and a greasy, long beard. He wore filthy denim overalls with a stained, white sleeveless t-shirt underneath. On his feet, he had on a pair of worn, outdoor boots, the type you see loggers wear. There was a large knife hanging from its sheath on his hip. His shoulders were broad, and his sinewy arms were all muscle. It was hard to tell his age, he could have been in his 30s or 40s, but the outdoors and elements had turned his skin into a dark leather and creased his face. His light-colored eyes were filled with hate and seething with anger. He started yelling at us to get off his mountain. We turned around and ran. He let out a rage-filled, blood-curdling bellow and scream. It sounded more animal than human. He gave chase. We ran like our lives depended on it. We instinctively knew if he caught us, he would harm or kill us and throw our broken and bloodied bodies over a nearby cliff. We ran faster. I felt like we were being hunted by the devil himself. I kept praying to God, please God, help us. Don't let either one of us stumble or fall on the uneven trail. The distance between us and the man began to shorten. My husband unclasped his backpack and let it fall off his back while running. I wasn't carrying one. Not only did he want to drop the extra weight, but he was hoping the man would stop his pursuit of us to see what was in the backpack. He didn't. After what seemed like an eternity, we saw our parked car in the clearing ahead. My husband had backed into the spot, so the hood of the car was facing the road. Thank god my husband had placed the car keys in his pocket of his hiking pants and not in his backpack. I heard my husband rip the velcro to open his pocket. He reached inside and grabbed the keyring that held our car keys and fob. He did this in a fluid motion and without slowing his pace. He pressed the remote on the key fob, which unlocked our car. We quickly opened the doors and scrambled inside, and locked the doors. My husband's hand was shaking as he placed the key into the ignition. Before he could start the car, the man hit my passenger side window with his fist with such force, it caused the glass to crack like a spider's web. I let out a terrified scream. He brought his large fist back again, ready to strike my window which would shadow the glass barrier between myself and him. At that exact moment, my husband turned the key in the ignition, put the car into gear, and his foot hit the gas. The giant's fist missed its mark and hit the metal side panel instead. We sped off to the small village town center about 3 miles down the road to call the sheriff. We stopped at a small diner and asked to use their phone. We found out there was no sheriff station on the top of the mountain and it would take the sheriff 45 minutes to drive to the diner from the valley below. We jumped in our car and drove fast down the winding mountain, two-lane highway. We drove straight to the small sheriff's station and ran inside. At the front desk sat a bored-looking deputy. We told him we wanted to make a report. He called the sheriff over, who ushered us inside his office and closed the door. Laying next to the sheriff's desk was a large German Shepherd who abruptly sat up from his prone position. His ears perked up, and his dark, intelligent eyes took us in. Feeling we were of no threat, the dog's body relaxed, and he laid back down. How I wished we had a dog like this when we hiked. The sheriff could tell something had happened to us due to my tear-streaked face. He took our report and then went out to examine our damaged car my side panel was dented from the man's fist. The sheriff told us we were extremely lucky to have escaped. He said there were mountain men that lived deep in the woods, and they didn't like outsiders or townies snooping around. He said they were very strange and meaner than a bull when crossed. He told us it's not the wildlife you have to fear, but those men. He informed us hikers have disappeared in those woods. He advised us to pack a gun if we hiked in the area again. We haven't been back once all these decades later. About four years ago, three women disappeared in that small mountain. They were not together. The women went missing within the same month, and the last we heard, they were never found. I often wondered if they had the misfortune of running into one of those deranged mountain men. Something woke me up at 4.10 a.m. While I was in the sleeper of my rig, I know the date perfectly because it was my birthday. I got out of my truck and this thing let out a high-pitched whooping yell that echoed throughout the forest. I was standing there and was trying to figure out what it was, saying to myself that's not a cougar and not an elk nor an owl or a coyote or a wolf. When it dawned on me on what it could be it scared the bejesus out of me. It's the same as the sound on your Klamath Screams audio and what I heard on the Discovery Chanel. I again heard the same sound in Klamath Cali just south of the Trees of Mystery where they have the Paul Bunyan and Babe statues. We were staying in some cabins there, both my son and I heard it around 10 am while we were hiking. It was way off in the distance and dogs started barking right after we heard it. It screamed twice. This time I thought it was kind of cool to hear it again and my son thought likewise because I had him listen the recording on the internet. My grandpa was born in the last years of the 19th century and spent his entire life living in rural Idaho as a farmer and rancher. He had tons of old cowboy stories. He would tell us grandkids. Most of them were funny, some were cautionary but a few were downright creepy. When my grandpa was six years old he, along with his older brother, and a gang of kids from nearby farms, decided to go ice skating for the day. At that time my great grandpa was working as a ranch hand and the family lived near Chesterfield, Idaho, now mostly a ghost town. It was a bright and sunny January day in 1902 and though the temperature was low the sun kept things somewhat warm. They had hitched sleighs to their horses and headed down to the Portneuf River to ice skate. There were eight kids all together and they were excited to show off their new skates from Christmas. Along with my grandpa and his brother, there were the three Robinson kids, Tommy Bayer, and the Gooch twins. The best spot to skate was next door to the Gooch's ranch. The river there was broad and shallow so the ice tended to be thicker and if they did fall through they would just get their legs wet. The kids spent a couple hours skating when a loud scream came from a willow bush on the river bank opposite them. The kids could only watch as a giant man, covered head to toe in thick black fur, came lumbering out of the bushes. It was carrying a large tree branch and was screaming in rage at the kids. They fled towards the sleighs trying to scramble up the river bank in their skates. My grandpa being the youngest was at the back of the rush. He couldn't get a good foothold because of the skates and fell back towards the ice. The giant was now crossing the river towards them. Screaming and swinging his branch. My grandpa was sure this creature was going to eat him. As my grandpa tells it Lady Luck smiled down on me that day by the river, because as the giant was midway across the river the ice gave way. It only submerged its shins, but was slowed down considerably as it tried to get back on top of the ice. This gave my grandpa's brother enough time to jump down and cut the laces off my grandpa's skates. They left the skates and dashed up the river bank and jumped onto the sleigh. As they looked back the giant man was cresting the river bank. To their relief it didn't chase the sleighs. It just stood there hollering at the kids and swinging his tree branch. The kids were able to make it back to the Gooch ranch where they told their encounter to John Gooch, the twins' grandfather. Word spread quickly in the tiny farming community and soon a posse was formed to hunt down the beast. Where the kids had been skating there was found footprints almost two feet in length. My grandpa's skates were found near the tracks. They had both been bent in half like horseshoes. The tracks headed west into the nearby mountains. The posse followed them as far as they could, but deep snow prevented their travel any farther the creature was never sighted in that area again this story captivated the small community and soon word traveled across the country of the idaho wildman that spring my great grandpa decided to buy a ranch in the little lost river valley farther north in idaho my grandpa had many other weird and creepy backwoods stories but he always said that this encounter frightened him the most He was sure he would have been killed if the giant hadn't broken through the ice and given his brother a chance to cut his laces. Three of us were out duck hunting earlier in the day. Driver was Travis Howard, Dustin Hakama passenger seat, and myself facing backwards sitting in the bed of the truck. We were pretty much done hunting and Travis just started to drive around for sightseeing. We were driving along when Travis hit the brakes. I turned to the driver's side to ask what we were doing. I then saw a figure, about thirty feet away, about four foot tall, upright on two legs running down the ditch and up the hill through the logged area, approximately two to five years old of a logged area. Some brush had already started to grow. The figure ran up and across another landing road and disappeared at a tree at the tree line, approximately 150 plus yards away. This figure was dark brown-slash-black, shortish hair. It looked to be about the size of a young bear cub, but running quickly on two feet. It did not have a muzzle like a bear and did not have visible ears like a bear. The three of us all asked each other what the underscore was that? Travis and Dustin asked if I saw where it went. So we reversed the truck and drove up the road where at last was the creature. We stopped just before the tree and looked around and listened. We were not all too fearful because we all three had our shotguns, however we did feel uneasy in the fact that none of us knew what we saw. We eventually left the area and discussed that we should call it a bear and not to really talk about what we saw. Travis would be able to tell better the road we were on due to him being a little older than us and he was driving. Dustin and Travis had a view of the creature crossing the road some feet in front of them. A few days ago, my girlfriend and I were nearing the end of an incredible road trip with our beloved dog. We'd been driving for hours, and it was time for a break. Spotting a rest stop just off the freeway, we decided to pull in and stretch our legs, giving our dog a chance to do his business. The rest stop was eerily quiet, with no other cars in sight, just three large semi-trucks parked in a line. My girlfriend immediately went to use the restroom, and I leashed our dog, waiting by the car. As she disappeared inside, I heard someone shouting behind me. I turned to see a trucker in the driver's seat of his semi, his window rolled down, trying to get my attention. He was an older man with grey hair and sunglasses and I couldn't quite make out what he was saying over the noise of his truck. After a few exchanges, I decided to walk closer to his truck to hear him better. What did you say? I asked. Can you help me look for my phone? I lost it somewhere, the trucker replied. Feeling a little caught off guard, I asked him where he had lost it. I lost it in my truck. Can you come up here and help me look for it? He said in a somewhat unnerving tone. At this point, I was seriously creeped out. There was no way I was climbing into this stranger's truck. I refused, and as the trucker grew increasingly agitated, I threatened to call the cops. He eventually drove off, leaving me shaken and relieved. As I recounted the incident to my girlfriend, I couldn't shake the feeling that something was off. We decided to take our dog for a walk to calm our nerves, and that's when we stumbled upon something extraordinary. Hidden in a dense thicket of trees, we spotted a large, hairy creature with an unmistakable human-like appearance. We couldn't believe our eyes, it was Bigfoot. He stood there, watching us curiously, seemingly unthreatened by our presence. We slowly backed away, trying not to provoke the creature. To our surprise, Bigfoot began to follow us, keeping a safe distance but maintaining eye contact. It was as if he wanted to communicate with us. As we continued walking, we realized that Bigfoot was leading us deeper into the woods. We hesitated, unsure of what to do, but something compelled us to follow. It seemed as though he wanted to show us something. Led by Bigfoot, we eventually arrived at a small clearing. To our amazement, scattered on the ground were various personal items, wallets, phones, and other belongings. Among them was the trucker's phone. We realized that Bigfoot had been watching the rest stop and intervening when things seemed suspicious. He had sensed our unease and had come to our aid. In gratitude, we carefully picked up the trucker's phone and decided to return it to the authorities. As we walked back to our car, Bigfoot disappeared back into the woods, and we couldn't help but feel a sense of awe and gratitude for our unexpected encounter. Our road trip had taken a bizarre turn. But it left us with a story we'd never forget. I had been living in my town for three years, and I had grown quite comfortable with my surroundings. There was a 7 Eleven within walking distance of my home, which I visited occasionally at night. Despite my town's reputation for being safe, I couldn't help but feel a little more alert when I ventured out after dark. One night, I decided to make a quick trip to the 7-Eleven. I grabbed a few items, paid for them, and headed towards the exit. As I stepped outside, I noticed an old man with a limp approaching the store. He spotted me and called out, hey, come here, I want to ask you a question. Instantly, my instincts kicked in. Something about the situation felt off, and I was torn between going back inside the store or trying to avoid the man altogether. As he repeated his request and moved closer, I made my decision and retreated back into the store. I pretended to browse the shelves, keeping an eye on the old man as he entered. To my surprise, he didn't pay any attention to me once inside. Instead, he wandered down an aisle and seemed to vanish entirely. Seizing the opportunity, I slipped out of the store and hurried back to my home, just a block away, I couldn't shake the feeling that something sinister had been afoot, and the incident served as a stark reminder that even in a safe town, one should always remain vigilant. Days went by, and I couldn't get the encounter out of my mind. The more I thought about it, the more it began to resemble the local legends of skinwalkers, shape-shifting creatures that could assume the appearance of humans or animals. Although I had always dismissed the stories as mere folklore, The eerie experience with the old man left me questioning my skepticism. As time went on, whispers about skinwalkers and other strange occurrences began to spread throughout the town. People claimed to have seen the old man lurking in the shadows, disappearing just as suddenly as he had appeared. Others reported seeing animals with human-like features, and the once safe town was gripped with a newfound sense of unease. Despite my initial decision to avoid nighttime walks, curiosity got the better of me. I found myself drawn to the mysterious figure, hoping to learn more about the Skinwalker legend and, perhaps, to uncover the truth behind the old man's intentions. One fateful night, as I walked through the dimly lit streets, I once again encountered the old man. This time, however, there was something different about him. His appearance seemed to shift before my eyes, transforming from a frail, limping figure to a menacing, otherworldly creature. A chill ran down my spine as I realized I was face to face with the skinwalker. I turned and ran, my heart pounding in my chest. I could hear the creature's footsteps behind me, closing in with each stride. I raced through the streets, praying I could make it to the safety of my home. As I reached my front door, I fumbled for my keys, my hands shaking with terror. The door swung open just in time, and I stumbled inside, slamming it shut behind me. I collapsed on the floor, my body trembling as I tried to process what had just happened. The town remained on edge, the skinwalkers presence an ever-looming threat. As for me, I couldn't forget the chilling encounter that had changed my life. The once safe town now held an air of mystery and danger that I could never have anticipated, and the nights would never be the same again. My wife and two kids went for a short day bushwalk hike at a place called Hanging Rock in Victoria, Australia, it's about one hour northwest of Melbourne, you can see what it looks like and get the trail info from generic hiking map page. It's a fairly short walk only takes about an hour but we allowed for a couple hours because we wanted to walk around the bottom and of course with kids we usually like to stop for some snacks and a drinks on the way up and just enjoy the place. We had not done this walk before because we are not from the area, but we are somewhat of a walking slash hiking family. My wife's family are German and it's basically in their blood and is a favorite thing for all of them to do. I fall into that very well as I have always been an avid walker and hiker too. Because the weather was mild and it was the last day of the long Easter weekend there were surprisingly not so many people, a couple walked past us on the way down and we saw another group heading up ahead of us, it looked like a family group but their kids were older. There were also some people having a bbq picnic and some others kicking a ball around down the bottom. Before we go up. I quickly went behind a tree and did a piss making sure to not be seen. We headed up and I personally started to feel strange, I am a big guy but I am very fit cardio wise and I started feeling out of breath, I thought I must have just had too big a breakfast or something and so I slowed down and told the wifey and kids to slow down too. We all eased up and my wife asked if I was okay, the kids both seemed fine, laughing, My boy was throwing sticks and rocks and generally they were just being kids. The uneasiness did not stop, I honestly started feeling really out of breath and as if I was being suffocated and could not breathe, I started freaking out a little if I am honest at this stage and began wondering if I was having some sort of heart attack or something so I told my kids to hold up. I squatted down on the ground and leaned up against a boulder. My wife started to look really concerned and she grabbed my daughter's fitness tracker watch and put it on my wrist. My heart rate was high about 131 beats per minute, but that was normal as we were going up these steps. Here is where things started to get creepy. As we waited around a bit for me to feel better, my son was now climbing all over the boulders and jumping off them. My daughter put her watch back on but it stopped reading properly and she noticed this straight away. It's a brand new kids fit bit that she got for her birthday in February. The time was right bit it was not reading steps or heart rate. Okay, weird, it just read my heart rate fine, but was not taking hers and the step counter was not working. Whatever, she tinkered with it for a moment while standing and then bizarrely I started to feel better and come good and so we all started off again. We continued up and as we headed up we got to a rocky clearing where you could look outward, you could see some farmland and a generally it was beautiful, my wife was the only one that brought her phone, I left mine in the car and she wanted to take a picture of us all. Here is where it gets creepier, her phone was off, she never turns her phone off ever, and it too is fairly new, it's a Sony Xperia and is about a year or two old, her charge lasts days if she's not watching YouTube. She tried to turn it back on and the low battery image appeared. How is it low battery when she keeps her phone charging at night while she sleeps and we left for our trip first thing in the morning and my wife never user her phone in the car because she becomes motion sick otherwise but also I used my phone to navigate us there. Weird. The kids go ahead, my son is running around like a lunatic and my daughter is just walking and taking it all in. And I ask my wife if she thinks it's weird her phone is playing up and so is our daughter's Fitbit. She shrugs it off and does not even say anything. We slowly get to the top, and as we get there, my son, who is six and full of beans, he's been jumping around, throwing things, and doing cartwheels the whole time. He starts telling us his tummy feels funny, Hess now gone pale and looks like he is about to vomit. We asked if he needed a number one or two, no nothing. He just feels sick he says. My wife, daughter and I all look at each other and I think we were all thinking the same thing but no one said anything. We all just starts walking back out and want to get out of there. Too many weird and creepy things are now happening that don't make sense and now my son feels sick when he was bouncing off the walks 30 seconds ago. We start walking back, my son is now deflated, my daughter is asking questions, my wife isn't saying anything we all just hurry down. Once we get back down, we walk past the oval and go straight to the toilets. I take my son in, he tries to pee and doesn't need a number 2 but also does not feel much better and we're just kind of sitting there thinking about what we do next, do we leave, he feels sick, what if he throws up, do we just chill there, go for another short walk and hope he feels better. Then my daughter just wanders off to this information board while my wife and I were talking about what to do, so we all kind of just follow her. There is a sign about the sacred aboriginal volcanic rock formations which I had not paid any attention to earlier, the signs that is, and I start to get a unsettling feeling similar in a way to what I had on the way up, that choky, out of breath feeling. My son was chucking rocks at those things, the sacred rocks. He was running up and kicking himself off them, pretty sure my wife even told him off for spitting once or twice. I became aware of it all and realized we were on some kind of sacred land and here is my son acting completely disrespectful, I had taken a piss there and who knows what other dumb crap we had done. Maybe it all had an effect. I walk over tell my son he needs to apologize and make an offering of goodwill, and so do I. He doesn't really understand what I am saying so I just say come with me as I go to head back toward the path for the way back to the start of the summit and he starts screaming and shouting. I've never seen him do anything like this. Earth side of being energetic he is not at all a sookie or cry baby of a child. My wife comes over, asks what's going on etc. My daughter is still by the info board just milling about looking at things. I tell my wife my crazy idea. She gives me that look as if I am insane, picks our boy up and begins to walk away. So I walk back on my own, I find some similar looking volcanic rock before the summit even starts and I just go quiet and whisper I'm sorry if we acted rude or misbehaved, this is a beautiful place, we'll be respectful, I'm sorry if my son was disrespectful, thank you for having us and I kneel down, touch the ground and the rock and just sit for a moment in silence. I start walking back and I notice they're all heading back towards where I am. My son is now walking again. Hess comes over to me looking like he has some more color in his fact and I ask him if he wants to say something to the rock like I just did and that it's fine. And he says hi rocky rock rock or something like that and I say no mate we need to be respectful and I tell him to say sorry. Say thanks and say something nice in his own words and he says sorry rock for throwing your rock friends around see you next time rocky rock rock. My wife kind of laughs and shakes her head, my daughter starts explaining to her brother what we just did why it's important and we kind of stand around in silence for a second and then all go back and pile in the car and start to head out and go find somewhere for lunch. We get home later that evening after having a long lunch and walking around a nearby town called Woodend, and the kids playing at the playground. Both my son and daughter have had night terrors since they were about 3 years old, my daughter has mostly grown out of them and my son still gets them, and I am talking they are not nice at all. We used to think my daughter was friggin possessed when she would get them, she'd get aggressive, hiss and spit and cry and screech, they were horrible. My son, he basically just freaks out and starts screaming and looking absolutely terrified and wanting to jump off his bed, usually. Well here is the strangest thing. We are all asleep, that same night, after having been on the walk that day, I sort of just jolt awake in the dark because I sense something or hear something. I dunno why I woke up, I kind of put my head up from my pillow and look around and I see a dark silhouette standing next to my wife, I friggin absolutely shit bricks. I scream like a girl, what the F. My wife wakes up screeches loudly, it's our son, He's just stood there kind of grinning and he says something to my wife, she starts asking him questions, what is it, are you okay, do you need to go to the toilet, he's just grinning in between talking mumbo jumbo dream like gibberish, we realize his eyes are glazed over and he is still asleep and so she takes him back to his bed. Hess never done this before and with everything else that happened that day we were a little freaked out, looked at each other and just we teed a bed without saying anything else. Finally the last part of all this, the next day at breakfast as we're all kind of doing our thing getting ready before school and work, my wife says to me that it's really weird she realized her phone which was always on 24 hour time mode because she is German and that's just how she had always had it now is in standard 12 hour time mode. This is the same phone that went off on our hike. She says she swears she never changed it and she can't remember if his was 24 hour time when she first turned it back on the day before or just now this morning. I know for a fact all our clocks and watches that my wife touches and sets are always on 24 hour time, she even speaks that way and will say it's 17 instead of 5pm.